Greetings from Medford, Oregon. I'd like to wish all you who are listening grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May I read these verses from Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the God who has inspired it and speaks to us through it by the Holy Spirit. We pray you would guide and direct our thoughts uh, as on this planet right where we are. Let me read that psalm to you and then we'll explore it. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. We go into verse 1, which is an introductory statement to the whole psalm. This is a great motto for a church, for a family. And in the early days of our country, most households thought of that, at least as a motto for their situation. God is our refuge and strength, our our safe haven, our stronghold, our fortress. Indeed, this is where Luther got the idea for his first verses in his famous hymn, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. A bulwark is any solid wall-like structure that uh, is raised for defense, and this would be quite common in Old Testament times, as so many cities cities were behind walls in their uh, village and town for protection. A very present help in trouble. The word trouble means restricted, tied up, narrowed, or or cramped. Uh, Think of being the idea of between a rock and a hard place. We've heard that phrase before. Or being in a tight squeeze. And we find ourselves in those kinds of situations, don't we, quite frequently. The believer will have troubles. Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation. We're all going through different kinds of troubles at this time. But the good news is that in that trouble, he always is there. The Lord is ready, accessible, very present, not far to find. When the pioneers advanced in their westward movement into our country, Here and there were forts that had been erected that weren't too far away from where some of the people lived. So if 
there was a threat of Indians, they would quickly go and find their, their help inside the fortress or the fort for protection. The Lord is much closer than even our dearest loved ones or our closest friends. What a great truth this is for God's people who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. As we go through our times of anguish and stress, anxiety, it's all possible because Jesus himself has experienced that for us, as we're told in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. And by his indwelling spirit, he permeates through all that is within us, and we find that he is never far away. Now let's look at the first of five scenes in this psalm. We find that in verses 2 and 3, nature in upheaval. Notice that verse 2 begins with the word therefore, hearkening back to what we just considered in verse number 1. Therefore, we will not fear, not only because of who God is, but because of what God does to us. And that's important. Now the psalmist moves into very poetic expressions as we move down through verses 2 and 3. Though the earth give way, we can think of many examples of this. I grew up in Southern California, and from time to time we feel the earth move, what we call the earthquakes. But since I've left there, it seems like Southern California has been uh, experiencing many things to an extreme that I don't remember growing up there. Flooding, mudslides, different kinds of havoc. Up here in the Northwest, some of you might remember when Mount St. Helens blew in 1980. Or looking on television and seeing the great earthquake in the Bay Area in 1989. In Numbers chapter 16, we read that the earth literally opened up to swallow Korah and Dathan and Abiram. <clears throat> Moving mountains, think of landslides, volcanoes, roaring and foaming waters, those terrible tsunamis that hit Indonesia and Japan not too long ago. Trembling mountains, hurricanes, tornadoes, powerful imagery illustrating three things. Number one, it's an illustration of God's judgment on the nations through significant political, military, cultural, economic, and sudden changes such as that. Number two, pictures of coming woes of the final day of the Lord. When we read in Revelation 6 that the ungodly at that time will cry out to the mountains to fall upon them to escape the terrible judgment of God. And then thirdly, uh, these descriptions are metaphors of harsh disturbances that come into our own lives. Now, after verse 3, you'll see the, the little word sila. Strange word. Most likely, it was a musical mark denoting a pause of some kind. We have TV remotes, and we're watching a program. The phone rings. We want to put the, phone, the, the program on pause, so we click a little button and there it is. That's what the psalmist, I think, is telling us here. Take a moment to pause and think of what has just been said in verses 1, 2, and 3. Now, as we come to scene number 2, it's introduced with a rather remarkable statement. A sudden statement comes very impressively upon us and captures our attention. 
what is being said is something like this. Look, a river. And our attention in the second scene is focused on a river. A calm, peaceful, tranquil movement of a beautiful river with this refreshing streams. And where is it? Well, we're told it's in the city of God, right in the middle. And of course, that would be in the minds of people back in uh, the time of the psalmist, old in Old Testament times, the symbol of Jerusalem, which would be a symbol of the church and the presence of her covenant God. The New Testament application of that is here in Hebrews 12. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And so we're talking about the presence of God right in the middle of the city in the form now of a beautiful, calm, tranquil river. But wait a moment. Something seems strange here. Jerusalem had no rivers. They had various meandering streams. They had uh, some springs, but no river. In fact, in those days, it was, Jerusalem was rather, rather unique among large cities in that large cities were usually built by a river. Even in modern times, that has been true. But there was no river around Jerusalem. So how are we to understand the reference here to the river? Well, Back in Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel had a vision and saw water flowing down from the temple, and the level kept rising and rising, flowing into the sea where it became fresh for all kinds of trees to be nourished. And then in Revelation 22, verse 1, John says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Pictures, pictures of the divine supply that the Lord gives to his people. Right in the midst of Jerusalem is where this is provided, right in the midst of our lives. Remember that the heart of the covenant is God saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. When Jesus came, he fulfilled that in the most remarkable way. What was one of his names? Emmanuel, God with us. In verses 2 and 3, our attention was on the external circumstances of our lives. Here in verses 4 and 5, the internal security of God's people. She shall not be moved because the Lord's presence is in the believer. This river then is a picture of the joyful prosperity of the souls of those whose trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a gentle, controlled waterway of life. Listen to Isaiah 58, verse 11. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. When morning dawns, writes the psalmist in our text, when the darkness of our distresses is removed, as the joy of the Lord in our hearts dispels that darkness. Alexander McLaren once wrote, 
power is loud, but omnipotence is still. That's the work of the gospel, isn't it? That's how it operates. It comes working in the individual's heart. I trust that you who are hearing my voice have experienced the gospel. The Lord has touched your heart and has given you that peace that knowing you are right with God and that your sins are forgiven and you have the hope of eternal life. In terms of the river concept and idea, listen to these words of Jesus in John chapter 4. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Years ago, I used to attend somewhat regularly the Church of the Open Door for some youth meetings. And as you come into the entrance of that door, you would see off to the side a water fountain. And anyone who went to get a drink of water would read those verses that I just shared with you a moment ago. Later in John chapter 7, Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now let's go to scene number 3 in verses 6 and 7. The destruction of nations. Here the psalmist moves from natural chaos to national chaos. And his writing style is hurried. What happens is described very quickly. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. We visualize a huge chaotic battlefield and the tramp of armies, the zinging of arrows, the flashing of swords, coming into contact with who? The Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. Lord Sabaoth. A very impressive thing about secular history is the unexpected collapse of evil tyrants and and nations, and systems. Let me mention a few examples. Alexander the Great, age 33, he died, and his kingdom certainly, surely, and quickly became divided. The invincible Spanish Armada. Napoleon in 1812, retreating. Hitler in 1944-45 in his bunker the collapse of the Berlin Wall, the quick end of Assam Hussein in the war of Iraq. Yes, God is in control, not only of nature, but of history. And even in political chaos, verse 7 is true. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge our fortress. And at the end of that scene, again, we have the little word, word Selah. It's telling us to pause for a moment and reflect upon the river and upon God's actions of nations and control of nations and the destruction that comes 
quickly upon them. Now we move to scene number four, a desolate battlefield in verses eight and nine. We saw the battle in verses five and six. And now we look closer at the results. The terrain is strewn with a litter of warfare. Chariots are overturned, burned, rusting away. Bows, spears, and other military equipment and instruments are covered with dirt and dust. Bodies are rotting in the sun. Quite probably the historical incident in view here had to do with Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, as recorded in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19. Hezekiah had said to his people, The Lord will deliver us. And he had prayed, Lord, save us. And the Lord answered. The reply came from the headquarters of heaven. I will defend this city to save it. We're told there in 2 Kings that that very night, the angel of the Lord came, and eventually that army was destroyed when the dawn came. So the invitation then is given at the beginning of verse 8. Come, behold this. Take a good look at the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Come on up on the walls and look at the landscape. The armies are being defeated Proverbs 21.31 The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Those works referred to really are all of his acts in history, the history of salvation, not just dealing with Sennacherib, but the whole preparation of God's people in preparation for the coming Christ, the coming Messiah, the Exodus, the conquest of of Palestine, the time of the judges, the time of the monarchies, good kings and evil kings. And through it all in these events, we see evidences of his care, of his protection and providential rule for his people, despite their constant efforts to ally themselves with pagan nations and not pursuing godliness. All in preparation for the coming of the Christ who we know as Jesus who came to give his life a ransom for many, who came to take upon himself the punishment for sin that people like us, sinners like us, deserve. So in times of great change and apparent disaster, such as COVID-19, God is the shelter for his people. But you say, well, wait a minute now. What about sickness and illness? and financial loss by Christian people? What about the martyrs down through the centuries? What about saints dying in their hospital beds? The answer, I think, is that the protection that God gives as our mighty fortress is mainly spiritual in character. God protects our souls He protects who we are, and he will be faithful in bringing us eventually 
into our heavenly home. We come now to the last scene, and that is in verse 10. Here, God himself now speaks. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. His first words are, be still. He's saying, that is enough. Cease. Desist. Stop fighting against me. Know with whom you are dealing. I am God. Hebrew word there for God's name is Elohim, the the mighty God who is strong and mighty, our creator. I will be exalted among the nations and in the earth. God acts in human history and permits nations and peoples to go only so far according to his holy will. So these statements of the Lord are both a warning to the ungodly as well as an encouragement to the godly. As various nations come and go, kings and kingdoms rise and fall, God's church, God's people continue to advance and continue to boast of their trust in their Lord. So the church invites the nations and earth to behold the works of the Lord. Behold his works in in Bible history, supported by archaeology, his works in secular history, in church history, and in many personal histories. Take a good look at what God has been doing. We believe he will continue to do that. The last verse of the chapter is a threefold confessional statement that reflects verses 1 and 7. Notice how God is presented in a very personal way. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Bringing a fitting end to this song topped off by yet another Selah. Another time to pause and think of what has been said. For reasons mentioned in my introduction, Psalm 46 has been called Luther's Psalm. For it's on that basis that he wrote his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. But really, it's Christ's Psalm, isn't it? The promises we find in there are the promises that came from him and giving to his people. He is the Prince of Peace for our souls. Yes, we have times when we do not have peace in terms of our everyday life. But down deep within our hearts, we know that we have been made right with God, reconciled to him. We are no longer his enemies. We are his friends. What a wonderful message the gospel is when perfectly and rightly understood. It is God's love for sinners. It is the Lord reaching down to our planet Earth and saying to us, I will be your God. You will be my people. If you come to me through my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is really pictured in this psalm. So not everyone can sing this song unless, of course, you belong to the company of believers. 
My roommate in seminary was Robert Alden. Later on, he went to become a, an associate professor of Old Testament at the Denver Conservative Baptist Seminary. And in his little commentary on the Psalms, he has this to say, All God's children need to be reminded regularly of how great He is. As we fail to look at God in His Word, or fail to speak to Him in prayer, He grows smaller and weaker in our view. On the other hand, the more we study about Him, the more often we invite Him to help us, the more He will help us, and the more we will know that He is God. Yes, these are chaotic times, challenging times, changing times. Our confidence is being tried by various earthquakes and mountains being carried into the sea and waters roaring. And some of these things rush upon us quite suddenly, multiplying like roaring waves, driving us furiously. It is at such times that our confident trust must be in the Lord, our Lord, as we stand with Martin Luther and with the other Reformers and with the saints of both the Old Testament and New Testament age and with fellow believers in our own age. We shout forth with them, what God has been, he still is. What God has been doing, he still is doing. The river is full. His voice still speaks. He will be exalted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. May I lead you in prayer. Father, we bow humbly before you. You are the God of Jacob. You are the God of Abraham and Isaac, the God of your people down through the centuries. And we are privileged to know you through your son, Jesus Christ. May we be encouraged by these words that have been inspired for us in your holy word. And may we face this very day and the week to come knowing that we dwell inside the fortress of our mighty God, that the river indeed is full, and that by faith and trust in you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we can receive that strength we need. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And now to those of you who have been listening, grace to you and peace from God our Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.